you know, interesting thing to think about is that we fought a revolution in this country in, you know, beginning in 1776, of course, and the um, and we were fighting against the the capacity of the British government to regulate the ability of Americans to criticize their government and depart from governmental policies. And that's why we passed the First Amendment, because the framers and everybody else were concerned that the British government was trying to control speech in the United States of America. Well, here we are back, you know, it's 2022, but we're back in 1776, where you have a British government controlled news source who is now dictating to U.S., to all the major U.S. news sources who have signed on to this, uh, what Americans can and cannot say about their government. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an assault on everything we believe in about the press, the, 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 the function of the press. Um, and Brad, Louis Brandeis said this, is, is to maintain a... a a posture to constantly in a democracy. It, they are the, they're the guardians of our democracy. They're the gatekeeper. They are their job is to maintain a fierce skepticism and antagonism toward government and other big aggregations of power, but particularly the government. And here, instead of speaking truth to power, which is what you know, the Americans expect their press to do, the function of the press has now become to support power against dissent, against the little person, to fortify uh, these big aggregations of power, including government, and to prevent Americans from criticizing their government. And they do this by censorship. They do it by propaganda, by lying to us, you know, about vaccine safety, about, you know, that lockdowns are good for you and, you know, masking and all of these other lies that they told us that are demonstrably untrue. And... And they um, and they do it by censorship as well. So the you know the censorship simply is inconsistent with democratic societies. The 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 free flow of information is the fertilizer. It's the sunshine for democracy. And um, you know and it's a complete abdication by these legacy news sites. Of their of their traditional obligation to be the sentinels, the guardians, the protectors of the public in a democracy, and to speak truth to power. It's also a really marked reversal by the social media platforms about what they told us they were going to do in terms of democratizing information and democratizing societies. They now, instead of becoming, instead of uh, becoming the vector for and a forum for dissent, for debate, for conversations among people globally, they have become the principal instrument for totalitarian control. Wow. That's quite a statement, folks. I 
I have to tell you. But Bobby Kennedy Jr. knows a great deal about the law. You know, he's a lawyer who's won some major cases, and he knows more about government than most people because his uncle was president of the United States. His father was attorney general of the United States. He grew up living with government and understanding it. And what he's talking about here is a lawsuit filed only days ago against the British Broadcasting Corporation, Reuters, the Washington Post, and the Associated Press, major legacy media organizations that have worked together to censor news and create the prevailing narrative about COVID-19 and other huge stories. And then colluded, he says, with social media platforms to make sure that only the official message, the trusted news, would be readily available to the public. This, he argues, really is an illegal cartel. Well, welcome to the FLCCC Weekly Update. I'm Betsy Ashton. I'm creative director of this alliance of medical professionals and their supporters, and also a former CBS News reporter who has seen the media censor effectively block our doctors sharing of good, solid, scientific evidence-based information that could have saved countless numbers of lives during this pandemic. I watched it. I can't believe it, but it happened. And tonight, we have with us folks who have experienced the same censorship and even more, and they are fighting back with this lawsuit. But before I bring on our guests, who are very special people, a couple of housekeeping notes for you. One, every week, you know, we are asked how to download the chat file because you love the chat file. And know that the folks at Zoom have told us that, sadly, this is not possible to do. So if you want to save something this evening that you see in chat, you have to copy and paste it somewhere or take a screenshot and put it in another document before the show ends. So be sure to do that if you want to save something that's in chat. Now, second, our nurses are already online. We've got a full team of nurses. They're good people, as you will see them later. But they're online answering questions that you text into the Q&A. And those questions can be medical. The nurses can answer most of what you would have. Uh, our doctors are off tonight, but uh, you'll get medical questions answered there. But I'm going to take questions also from you uh, to give to our special guests tonight, who are people who know all about media and the coverage and the censorship and all that's been going on and why you have not been getting all of the information that, or maybe why your friends, you're getting it because you watch us, but your friends have not been getting all of the information that they should be getting about the whole COVID fighting program. Now then, last but not least, you're going to want to stay until the end of the program tonight because we have a very special clip from our very own Dr. Bean to share in celebration of 40 episodes of Long Story Short. That's going to be right at the end of the program. But now let's get to the story of what is going on between major media and big tech that's blocking coverage of all sides of the government and COVID program, and 
what can possibly be done about it? What can we expect out of a lawsuit like this one? Let's learn more about it. We are delighted to welcome. I know we have two of our guests on. I'm hoping we'll have three. We were having technical problems with one, but we had Todd Wood, founder of Creative Destructive Media. What a wonderful name that is. And I'm hoping we can see, we have Todd that we can see him now as well as hear him, I hope. We have Daniel O'Connor, who I know uh, we can see, and he's founder and editor of Trial Site News. And many of you read Trial Site News all of the time. They're going to explain the lawsuit, just exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it. And then we also have a special investigative reporter, Christine Dolan of CDM. She's been here before. She's worked at just about every major network that there is. And she's going to fill in on some choice details and have some books that you might want to read, all kinds of good information. So Todd, are you there? Can I see you now? I hope uh, I can. Uh, Dan, I know you are there. Let me get my screen so that I can see the... We do. Well, Todd, you're there. Thank heavens we got you in. You're in the dark pretty much, but we can see... We can see some of you, and that was masterful, getting the Zoom to work on a on a, on a difficult place. Okay, guys. So... Either one of you can go first. Why, why did you think that this lawsuit was important? What was happening to you that, that made this key? And explain to our viewers who perhaps don't fully understand what the lawsuit is, what's important in it. You want me to start, Betsy? Yeah, go ahead. So we started this network uh, really in 2015, but by 2019, we were very established in Eastern Europe. And, and funny of all places, Ukraine. Uh, and so we have a, had had a team on the ground for about a decade there. And we broke a lot of the stories early on what was going on there with the corruption, with the Biden family and with the, uh, you know, the national security state. And so that and then coupled with a video we did uh, with another investigative outfit right before the 2020 election, caused us to get deplatformed off about 25 Silicon Valley platforms in a period of days. We're talking Twitter, our Facebook was blocked, Patreon, PayPal, Mail, MailChimp, CJ Affiliate, LinkedIn, all of them went down. Uh, and we didn't know until about a year later when we found out about this thing called the Long Fuse Report, which is where Stanford and Twitter were coordinating with the US government to block certain people online. And this was all part of the Trusted News Initiative. So I found out about this later, but that deplatforming dropped our traffic by about 75%. And it's, we, but it's made us more resilient in many ways because we have rebuilt and growing past that level uh, due to free speech platforms and other types of getting our message out, email distribution lists, that kind of thing. But it really impacted our traffic. It impacted our fundraise because we were in the middle of an angel round at the time. And so that, um, you know, people were scared seeing us get deplatformed and pulled some of their investment. So it really impacted us financially and business wise, although we are recovering. And now I can say, you know, expanding rapidly. Uh, but they, 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 they bought some time in order to implement a lot of the dis, you know, disinformation they were putting out there or, or preventing others from getting information out there. So that's how uh, we were impacted and why we joined the lawsuit. All right. Uh, Dan, tell me about how you got involved. Yes, thank you. So, you know, we were, we're 
you know, pretty new. We were formed in uh, really early 2019. Trial site went live, uh, you know, with the explicit purpose. Uh, I come out of the industry developing systems for the pharmaceutical industry, very large drug companies. And uh, I'm also an attorney by training. And so, uh, you know, trial site was really about translating complex scientific communication around biomedicine, biomedical research for a broader audience. It's a very important topic. So 2019, we started, we uh, rapidly uh, developed a, a pretty significant industry regulatory following, pretty niche, but uh, pretty extensive, the, the following for what it was. And then uh, COVID happened, and uh, we were very involved with uh, writing about studies, helping patients get into certain studies, helping uh, doctors get into become investigators in certain trials. So we were almost like a public service. The uh, NIH still links to us as a, a site. They cite us as an authority for COVID uh, uh, drugs. So, and we were really the first to write about ivermectin. In fact, uh, I tell this funny story. Uh, Dr. Pierre Corey called me in October 2020 to introduce himself and demand to know who we were. And he likes to say that he learned about ivermectin through our reporting because we first started writing about ivermectin uh, when the Monash study came out of Australia in March, April 2020. We thought it was fascinating. Again, we're an industry-centric site, right? So we started to uh, talk with folks in Bangladesh and other places where ivermectin was being used against the uh, pandemic. In fact, in Bangladesh, they call it the people's medicine, a combination of ivermectin, doxycycline, zinc, and some other uh, supplements. So now we first started noticing the censorship when we were reporting on ivermectin. And for example, the country of Slovakia approved it on an emergency basis. I remember that. Posted that online on Facebook and it was taken down. We posted it on YouTube and it was taken down. We had an account manager. We said, well, why are you taking this down? It's 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 exactly. actually happening. Here's a government you know document, edicts, declaring it to be happening. It's real. They said, nope, this is misinformation. Okay. And that just repeat that, repeat that. Now with ivermectin, what what really happened, the war started when we reported that uh, uh, the monthly prescriptions or weekly prescriptions of ivermectin went from like 3,000 pre-pandemic to about 90,000 during the pandemic. I mean, that's an enormous growth. Uh, you know, Merck and these companies weren't going to have that. They were infuriated and we could see traffic. We knew who was hitting certain articles and what have you. So, um, we started to see more and more harassment. And on YouTube, which was a, a source of revenue for us, we were doing quite well. They started censoring um, our material there. I We funded a documentary about Peru early on about how ivermectin was being used. It was very objective. It wasn't pro or con. And that got taken down. So we knew something was terribly wrong. So we learned about the Trusted News Initiative. These uh, large media and tech came together. And uh, the censorship really intensified, however, though, when we started to be critical of the vaccine. We were generally pro-vaccine. We uh, were, we've been told by elements within the US government, we're the only media in the United States that consistently reports on the good news about the vaccine and the negative news about the vaccine. So we're, we've been as objective as you can get. Now, um, which is what you think you'd want. 
So once we started um, showcasing other authors and under opinion pieces, we started to get harassed. We had a group called NewsGuard that was ex-media um, executives that came at us really in, in a very hostile way, clearly empowered by somebody. Uh, this is right when Biden took over and um, there was some harassment there. We got harassed more on social media, Facebook, they took down, Twitter, they took down. So long story short, we always had our independent news platform, which really was a, a, a you know real lifesaver, right? Because we could continue to get news out. So uh, Robert, uh, you know, Kennedy called me at some point and, you know, wanted to talk with me about the experiences we've had. I shared this with him. He asked me, would you like to join us in this lawsuit? Uh I thought about it and I said, absolutely, because it's just not right. Right. I mean, we're we've been objective. The NIH to this day links to us, at least they did a couple of weeks ago. So it's not like we're some fringe site. Okay, we're a pro industry site. So. This was clearly a sort of cabal that came together of the top, some of the top media companies and tech, and they colluded to uh, essentially go after any group that was deemed to be uh, promoting or publishing disinformation. Now, I asked the question, what happens if what you're publishing is the truth and they call that disinformation? What are you supposed to do about that? So I'll leave it there. That's where we were like, you have to do something about this. Todd, uh, now you you cited something that was much more political in nature that you were covering that got you in hot water. But I presume you, you cover a lot of different stuff, a lot of different material. Can you perhaps explain what the Trusted News Initiative is? I mean, how, how sure. do we know how it exactly started? Well, um, I'm not the expert in that, but uh, essentially a bunch of news organizations who were huge names, BBC, you know, Washington Post, Reuters, Associated Press, in combination with big tech companies, essentially formed a monopolistic group in order to control what people see really around the world. And so usually they are competitors, but they put aside that competition in order to suppress information. And I will say that, yes, our initial deplatforming and was from Twitter or, or from from political issues in Ukraine and with the election. But then Christine Dolan, who's on this call, came on and started injur- in interviewing a lot of the vaccine injured very early. And so that really, uh, you know, we've had death threats. We've had our bank accounts wiped. We've had uh, we've kicked off Google ads, Google ad manager. So in many ways, it's forced us to become very resilient and develop our own technology and the way to distribute and monetize our business. But it's been a series of things that were against the uh, established narrative that really uh, got us into trouble. I think we should bring Christine in here at this point. Um, Christine, tell us what you were reporting on that caused all this trouble. Um, I like competition. Let me just put it that way. That's that's what gets me in trouble. And I am. I admit that I'm very competitive in the, in the media and I always have been. But uh I took a look at a different different uh, analysis in 2020, and, and I've said this before, so if people have heard me, Betsy, you know, I apologize, but, but it's the truth. Very early on, I read the February 2020 Lancet report, where they concluded in February 2020 that the there was no lab leak. And as somebody who's been trained as a criminal 
investigator and been an investigative you know, reporter and, and television producer for so long, I said, that's impossible. And then I started reaching out to the authors of that article. And Peter Daszak's name was not on that, but we found out months later that he organized it. We know that it came out after the conference calls between Francis Collins and Fauci and some other people because they were discussing basically how to create a narrative so that it didn't be the lab leak. And you have to ask it, you know, looking back now in, in hindsight, why did that happen? Well, they couldn't, you know, if it is a lab leak, if it is bioweapons, if it's a countermeasure, if it's under DOD early on, people would have said, well, hell, this is a mess globally. And then governments would have had to have pulled the money and it's zillions of dollars that goes into this Frankenstein science that is connected to going out and finding coronaviruses, taking them to the animals, to the labs, putting them in a Petri dish to figure out if it's transmissible to human beings to create the market, to create the seasonal COVID flu shots, like the flu shots, okay? And that is that is the business model. That's the underlining business model. And that's, that's very, very early on. And so then I was listening to the nurses and they were giving me contradictory information about what was going on in the hospitals. Christine were killing people, you know, putting them all on ventilators. Then I would hear from doctors that in fact, that they, they had an early treatment, but they were told, no, you have to follow the protocols of the hospital administrator. So by August, 2020, there was only one person on the planet. I wanted to talk to him. That was Bobby Kennedy. And I called him and I said, I'm in, this is like organ trafficking, medical trafficking. Nothing's making sense. The narrative by late, it was, uh, I guess it was in April that, Fauci has said remdesivir was safe. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I knew somebody who died from remdesivir, so that doesn't make any sense to me. And then Vax was the only answer. And that's like telling somebody with your background and my background, Betsy, if Vax is the only answer, that sounds like war is the only answer and there's no diplomacy. And that's when people want to go to war as opposed to finding peace. So I decided to take this on. And I know from creating criminal matrixes, I had to find evidence. I found um, Vax injured, people who had signed up early, volunteered after the rollout in 2020, later found the people uh, that were hurt in the clinical trials from 2020. And when I first started interviewing those people who were injured, many of them, I would do the pre, the pre-interview, the pre interviews before anybody would go on camera. Many of them did not. They reminded me of interviewing traffic victims all over the world for the last 23 years. It reminded me of people being traumatized. Uh, many of, and and I, I take great, I, I just, I can't tell you how sad some of these stories are because these people are traumatized and they were, they were left alone. They didn't they didn't have anybody until the Pierre and the Paul Merricks and everybody got together. I mean, that's just the truth. So what you people do is there are enough words. And I know people's very, very grateful that these doctors have stepped up to the plate. But, you know, when that started happening, you know, I don't look at the behind the scenes and the, and the algorithms because Todd's the expert on that. But, yeah, there was some pushback, but it didn't matter because I stayed with them all the way. And I and I said, we have to get the evidence out there. We have to put it together as if it's a criminal trial. 
that we're preparing for a criminal trial. So, and I, I commend Todd, I commend Daniel, I commend Bobby as somebody who's been in the business for 40 years. I, you know, I, I really mean it, you know, like Lou Rawls, let's get it on. Let's take on the fight because when you start suppressing truth and you're killing people, that's wrong. And the ethics at the Washington, I mean, and I, I've said this before, Ben Bradley, if he were alive, I do not believe that Ben Bradley would have joined Trust News Initiative. Well, I, I certainly have it. never heard anything like this. And, you mm-hmm. know, in the years that I was there, I, the whole the whole situation seems uptight, upside down to me of what's going on in the media. And where is the firewall for reporters who are supposed to be, yes, questioning everything that the government does, always looking for a possibility of any agency being taken over by the companies that they're supposed to be monitoring, that they're supposed to be uh, looking at and on behalf of the American people uh, whose ta- tax dollars are supporting the agencies to protect them from any kind of profit-making operation that out, that's out there that might exploit them. And I I don't see them happening with this, but that's our job though. Our, our job is to make people accountable and hold agencies, governments, politicians. You know, I, I'm not impressed by fame, money, power, the Pope. I mean, if you're a Pope or a president or a businessman and you're medically raping the human race, uh, you're fair game. Well, let's, let's go back to the question then of what can be done. Okay. Here's a lawsuit. It can take forever to go through the courts. What actually, come on, what what are the next steps? What can actually come out of this? What do you hope to see? Oh, I, I think that's a simple answer because with, with a lawsuit like this, you can bank on investigators investigating. And I don't I don't think people and I don't think people like the Washington Post, the BBC, Reuters, AP want to be investigated because Quite frankly, there are journalists that I know who still work in legacy media who have come to me and fed me information. So we know that this is from the top down. They would like to do something. They know it's not good on the inside. So there will be. That's encouraging to hear. There will be leakers. So this this is going to be a serious fight. But at the same time, there's a piece of paper that was created that Bobby has talked about that um, the the legal team has gotten a piece of. And it's the strategy to go up against trial site and CD media uh, and these and these other plaintiffs because they see them as competition of getting into their their, you know, their audience. Well, if we tell the truth and they don't, we will break into their audience. That, that's what happens the same way that when in the old days, when it was ABC, CBS and NBC and PBS, ABC had low ratings yeah. until Rune Arledge beefed it up and then CNN competed with everybody else. And then MSNBC and Fox a cable got into the, you know, the, the cable business. Let me see if I understand this right. You're saying that you have uh, a document that shows that these groups were colluding against precisely you people. Um, uh, I, I don't think I don't think it's worded like that. I I, oh. I, I haven't read it. Bobby has oh. actually spoken about it. Daniel, do you have you seen it? Uh, well, I mean, there's there's a number of artifacts, but I think the the main you know premise of this lawsuit. This is not a constitutional free speech lawsuit, right? You know, we would think, hey, freedom of uh, the press is a fundamental right, but the premise 
uh, and Kennedy explained this to me, was you know antitrust in that these very large groups that have enormous market share, especially when you talk about the internet and you get the key players that are uh, the tech companies, um, you know, Google and Meta, what have you, uh, they essentially control, if you're a publisher, if you're a small publisher and you can't get online to these platforms, you're blocked out of the markets. And this is essentially an uh, unlawful group boycott where these groups come together and, and orchestrate and plot to keep uh, groups that are coming up, different individual publishers that are growing rapidly to uh, put them out of business. And that's, you know, the, they were close and they've hurt a lot of uh, groups and they've clearly uh, restricted the amount of information that has gotten out. Now, again, with TrialSite, luckily we had our own platform. We invested in technology from the start and that, and we were just sort of a novelty. I don't think really anybody cared that much, even with the ivermectin stuff. But I think as the momentum started to grow and you saw FLCCC get the kind of recognition, things really blew up when Pierre went to the Senate in November or December of 2020. Mm-hmm. Our traffic exploded, right? Because it, it just took another, it went to the next level of awareness. So the, the, the idea behind this lawsuit is that, the, and there's case law behind this, that uh, around unlawful um, uh, boy, group boycotts that are used to keep out your competitors, right? So, yeah. so that's the premise. And this lawsuit is going to have a material impact. But I just want to tell everybody, it's already happening. I mean, we track these, these news daily. We have already on the vaccine injured, we have multiple mainstream media now really dipping their toes pretty deep now into it. And that includes Reuters, believe it or not, and BBC, believe it or not. I think BBC, we were already scared of them. They're already starting to talk about the vaccine injured. Um, we've got um, uh, also the um, Canadian Broadcast Corporation. So now, uh, you, you know, you see Wall Street Journal's already kind of been going there spectator in the UK. So the, the mainstream media is already starting to incrementally move. Okay. Now, what does that mean? I can't tell you, but I do know that this lawsuit is just one, one of many tools and approaches that different groups are taking to put pressure on what, what, what's been an unprecedented top-down usurpation of the medicine. Okay. That's what's happened here. And now I can tell you real quickly, the way that this cabal has terrified the doctors is it's been orchestrated uh, at the federal government. The federal government uh, sends letters to umbrella uh, licensing bodies here in the United States. And then those bodies then threaten the individual state chapters to say, hey, misinformation, you know, things like ivermectin, or, uh, you know, if talk about vaccines having some problems, you flag those people. Okay. So this is in the United States, the totalitarianism isn't, or authoritarianism isn't direct. It's softer. It's, it's not directly the state coming down. It's through these associations and, and academia, they put huge amounts of money into academia. So everybody in academia is terrified to to talk or say anything because, you know, they've got mortgages, they've got kids in college, you know, how you know, but th- let me just say that this, you know, we, we see this in the sort of the space, this political space, this medical space, this COVID era. 
But it's even worse than that. Back in the Arab Rising, which is 2010, 2011, our U.S. government through USAID, when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, our government was in bed with big tech. And if people go back and, you know, this this is part of my my research about what happened about the Arab Rising. But this this is fundamentally documented. And there's a piece that I've been working on that we're going to release that the U.S. government was in bed with big tech. And when Hillary was secretary of state and she was traveling overseas, she met with a lot of what she called civil societies. They were actually considered to be civil dissidents by the foreign governments. And they they were the civil she was meeting with the civil so-called civil societies because they were they were going to teach them at tech camps in other countries with a bunch of foreign activists how to use social media to hold their government leaders accountable. But they were civil dissidents used being trained how to use social media to overthrow them. The spontaneity of the Arab Rising was the fruit cart man who um, set himself on fire in Tunisia. But if you go back to what happened in Libya, what happened in Egypt, all of that was not spontaneous. It was planned. So this is this this is something that was done in the Obama administration with a wink and a nod, with Panetta involved, with Hillary involved. And this was written about in one of Hillary Clinton's books. So it was accepted policy for big tech to be in bed for certain policies with the U.S. government. The difference is that this that that was played overseas. Yeah, yeah. this is played here domestically and unbeknownst to the American public. They thought. Wow. So who who do we believe with the contrasting information? And many people died. When they took the ivermectin off the shelf, when they took the the hydroxychloroquine off the shelf, when people couldn't buy it, and yet we know that it it has now been proven to help people early stages of getting COVID, and that it has actually helped some of the vax injured taking it. I, I don't know what you call this other than corruption. I'm going to give you some of the questions from some of our some of our viewers because there's smart people out there. And first of all, you're going to love this. Question number one from Terry Schofield is, how can we get added as plaintiffs in this lawsuit? <laughs> Call Bobby Kennedy? Is that, is that oh, it? God. I know. I know. Poor Bobby. Uh, I, I don't know what to say, you know, because I don't know whether I, I haven't. I, that's a that's a Todd and Daniel question. OK, guys. Anybody? Anybody have any ideas? I, I don't think he's will. He wants to get a huge list of plaintiffs. I think he was. Okay. Looking for a select list. I think that would be the answer. Okay. All right. Well, here's a here's a question um, from L.A. Uh, and it says, this is for Todd. Did you say that Stanford conspired with Twitter to block your efforts? I had not heard about Stanford and the Twitter files. Interesting. Uh, presumably other major medical schools and universities too. Please add details. All you have to do is do a, a internet search for the Long Fuse Report, and the document is online. We are listed on page 212, I think. I could be wrong, where they list the most, uh, you know, diabolical misinformation spreaders, which we were tied for number one with Project Veritas. So I, I wear that as a, a feather in our cap um, because of the information we were releasing very early on. 
And let me add to the, uh, the issue of the media. I think the legacy media has peaked. I think it's becoming irrelevant. You rarely see an industry where they destroy their own customer base intentionally when a two-year period. And I think that there is so much opportunity as a Wall Street guy. I mean, there's a new economy building, and that is the way forward just to make these institutions or organizations irrelevant. So that's a point I wanted to make. You know, let me say something else. Do you have the numbers on that? I'm not, I'm just not sure you're right on on that. You know, uh, how many. Well, look at the Washington Post. Look at the Washington Post left since Bezos bought it. Now he's selling it. They've lost a half million subscribers. That's just one data point right there. And Betsy, Betsy, think so, about this. The, the trust, too. I mean, you worked at CBS. The fact that CBS is 60 Minutes hasn't interviewed Vax injured. It's not. What, trust it, the, the trust is trust gone. Them. Yeah, the trust is gone. I think, and I think you're right on the fact of ignoring a story that people out there know is happening. You know, I remember when, I'm old enough to remember Vietnam. I'm old enough to remember when in the top down, we only talked to the generals and the president about their plans. And that was what got covered in the mainstream media, right? Until there was a point in time when enough correspondents got over there and started talking to the boots on the ground. And all of a sudden, the word got back to Walter Cronkite. And he said, this is not what we've been reporting is not what we're seeing on the ground. And that was it. Johnson knew it was over. He didn't run again. I mean, that made a difference. I have seen these things turn. It happens at some point. And the question will be whether whether it happens here. What what I'm seeing that Todd, you sort of mentioned, and Christine also, is that I sense that people are not, the media keeps telling the narrative, but they're not talking to the relatives of the people who died, the relatives of the people who've had people who could not get ivermectin in the hospitals, the relatives of the people who they were told that only the unvaccinated are causing all of this trouble. But too many people know that their vaccinated uh, relatives and loved ones have been hurting. And they, they just kind of see a major disconnect between what's happening in their sphere, in their community, and what they're still hearing on CNN or wherever else. Has we hit a tipping point? Do you think? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we're getting there. We see the progress, Betsy. But one, what we're doing at CD Media is a little bit different than some other people because this is serious investigative journalism. I am tracking the U.S. pharmaceutical com- companies who have distributed these so-called vaccinations all over the world because we have a moral obligation. If we have given into the Operation Warp Speed, if we're if we're basically giving taxpayers money and they're harming people here in the United States, we have a moral obligation as journalists to work together internationally. And because I've covered human trafficking for so many years, I have a lot of contacts overseas and I have people dipping into asking the same questions and where we can get a piece of information in one country and can't get it into another, we're cross-referencing it like real investigators do. 
So this this we're we're this is not, this is like game is on. Game is on. Here's a here's a question uh, from several viewers, and it's for whoever wants it. Is there actual evidence in emails or in other documents of the formation of the Trusted News Initiative? Absolutely. I mean, it's a it was a planned uh, public event, and the goal of it was to stop harmful disinformation both around the pandemic, but also interestingly around elections. They called out elections because there was the, remember the scare, uh, I guess it was during the 2016 election when it was Trump versus, um, uh, who was it, Clinton? Was it? Uh, and, yeah. and there was concern that the Russians had influenced, remember? Yes, I remember. That whole election. And so um, this Trusted News Initiative is a very public event. It's a kind of a, a consortium of, that's what was brought together, uh, news articles, very formal things. But but in that case, Daniel, I'll tell you, in, in the 2016, when the Steele document was shown to the BBC and they mentioned, you know, the, this, the scene in, with hookers in Russia, the BBC reporters even went public with this. The BBC asked those people who brought that steel document to the, to the Beeb's uh, doorstep, do you have a tape? Do you have any evidence of that? And they said no. And they didn't go with the story. How that story broke was later on. I think it was, was it, uh, Betsy helped me on this one. Was it Reddit? BuzzFeed. 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 Thanks, Todd. Yeah, it was BuzzFeed that, that put, put the dossier out there after the election. So, you know, there 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 was some standards there for the BBC, even in 2016. Except they now we know that the FBI was actually doing the Russian collusion while they were accusing Trump. So, right. you know, this is all, all unraveling. And, and also... So I think you will find this... Go ahead. I was just going to say, and now that we know that, you know, hundreds of FBI agents um, and, and military and intel and government people who are analysis work at social media. And we know that when people would people from the white from the Biden White House and, and people have to understand in June of 2021, and this is online, the. Surgeon General of the United States announced at a press conference, and I thought it's so odd at the time because I'd, I'd never seen the Surgeon General basically go out and have a PR platform. I think it's 21, 22 pages. And he, this is a written document. It's out there. And saying that this is how we're going to go. And it was a team of industries and governments and tech and and go after the disinformation. And they were saying it was almost like a life and death. But the problem was these people were all working together. Yeah. And, and Chadwick Weber has the same contract for the CDC, Pfizer, and Moderna. Weber's one of the largest, and the, and I, the, the former uh, chairman of the board, chairman of Weber I went to Georgetown with. And so this, this is not something that people are thinking of, well, it's not there. It's relationship, and you have to connect the dots on all this. And it's the old revolving door kind of government thing that we've talked about for generations of the problem of people who work in industry go into the government or government go into the industry that, that anyway. But you you raised something that was interesting there about tech is now filled with people who were formerly in intelligence. And, you know, it's it's interesting because the military trains pilots and we all know 
that a lot of pilots who are in commercial airlines are former military pilots. I mean, because it's a natural. They got the training. They did the stuff in the military. They're good at it. And then they can go off and be commercial pilots and have this wonderful second second career that's doing sort of the same thing, maybe a little more peacefully. Well, is it not a natural then that people who are trained in intelligence would go out and and be a natural to go into tech because aren't they working with the same toys and tools? Well, the the uh, the tools that were developed to defeat our enemies overseas via social media to control the media battle space, information battle space, is now being turned and used on the United States, you know, people. So that, uh, you know, you look at Stanley McChrystal, who was uh, running Defeat Disinfo using the same social media tools, which are weaponized or weapons grade uh, software. Um, and, and it's so, yes, it is happening and there should be some kind of uh, I don't know if it's time limit, you know, seven years before we can go into the, back into the government or something. I don't know. But it's definitely being used exactly like you say. And, and there needs to be somebody to put some ethics in, into this. There's no, there's no ethics. There's no ethics in this space. It, it, it's it's horrendous. And and think of this. This is very simple because for the people who do watch legacy media, uh, and I can't because re- I flip the channels all the times on Sunday mornings. But uh, Scott Gottlieb worked for the FDA. Scott Gottlieb has been booked on either Face the Nation, Meet the Press, numerous times. Maybe it's maybe it's one of the other Sunday shows, but he's always there. He's like uh, and. He's now on the board of Pfizer. Yeah. Okay. Let's have a question. Another question here from Steve Wallerstein, who says, can't private companies decide what they do or do not publish? I mean, there's a question for Christine. You, you've been in almost every one of the private uh, networks, right? At some time well, or they another. Do, they, do decide, they do decide what, they're, what they aren't going to. And in the old days, what would happen is if the, uh, the bureau chief in Washington would get a phone call from the, from somebody in the White House. Yeah. They would want to have lunch or a meeting, a discussion face-to-face. The network was digging into something that they thought might be of national security consequences. And there would be a conversation, but there would be a, you know, there would be a follow-up meeting with the reporter, the producer to find out, you know, you didn't do anything crazy, you know, or those stolen documents or something like that. So the ramifications of what was happening would be put on the table. That's not what's happening now. That's not well, the issue is, yes, they can print what they want, but they can't collude with every other major news organization to suppress information. That is monopolistic trust busting behavior. So that's what they can't do. They can print whatever they want, but they can't collude with others to stop any information from getting out and to destroy small businesses. Suzanne Tasker wants to know, and like many of our loyal viewers, what can we do to support this lawsuit? I would just say that I think it's uh, important to, uh, you know, use the channels that people have in their lives to, you know, incrementally start raising these issues. You know, there's the there's classical, right? Your elected officials, there's, uh, you know, community organizations, there's all kinds of different um, forums out there to talk about these things. Now, I understand it's difficult. And, and, and you know, in my own family, you know, <laughs> the conversation only goes so far and we're experienced we're grappling with this all over the place right but 
you know, and part of what's happening with social media is this sort of tribalism where people are getting fragmented by interest groups. Okay, this is just a phenomenon that's been unfolding. And of course, so powerful forces will use it, exploit it to make money or, you know, get power or whatever. But ultimately, you know, it's about people finding common ground. That's why the vaccine injury are, is a very important topic because, you know, it's everybody, we can all agree that people that get hurt need to be cared for, okay? Hippocratic oath. And so I, I believe, and this is my opinion, I believe it's important to focus on things that can bring people together. There are extremes out there, okay? And there are people that, um, you know, on both sides are too extreme. And if we're too extreme, I'm going to tell you, it's it, you're not going to find a consensus. But if you start in air, if you focus on on topics that can bring people together, that can get agreement, you'll be surprised it's getting closer to fertile grounds for that. One of the things that one of your one of your uh, wonderful doctors, Dr. Pierre Corey, did the other day is uh, I had interviewed we, Todd and I both had interviewed Angelia DeCilio. Uh, who was vaccinated? Uh, she received her shot January fifth, twenty twenty one. She, like most of these vaccinated, have had multiple injuries. Uh, we have an archival file on of everybody that's been willing to go on camp on uh, camera with us, and. I've stayed with her. We have invited her to our town halls where Dr. Pierre Corey and Dr. Paul Merrick and Steve Christensen and other people have participated. We and she went on to Elon Musk's Twitter account uh, in January. And Elon Musk had said that he had, you know, after his shot, one of his shots, he felt awful. Then he said that one of his cousins or something had myocarditis. And then what Angelia did is she put up her video of when she was in the hospital shaking. And then it had millions of hits on it. And then Alex Berenson tweeted and questioned it, said that she was conservative, white woman, you know, and this is this is COVID long haul. That's just a lie. And and I, I would challenge I would challenge and debate Alex about that um, and because he's wrong about this. We have interviewed, we have vetted, we have verified, we have stayed with these people since 2021, and many of them are not getting better. Some days they feel good, but think of your life if you wake up and you don't know whether or not you're going to have a good day. And some of these people have committed suicide. I mean, this is tragic. We need to have more compassion because these are not safe and effective for everybody. And this is not a news story. It just happens to be the error where the co where this particular vaccine has hit everybody's kitchen table. You know, what's so sad to me is that the people who are ignoring them are the people, the very same people who were pushing them to get vaccinated in the first place. I mean, That's these right. are the people who are the vax injured are the ones who thought they were doing the right thing. They That's were doing what they were told was good to protect all of those bad people who were not getting vaccinated. Then, no, they were doing the, the thing that was good and conscientious. And they're the ones paying the price, which is just doubly tragic to me. So a, sorry, Betsy, just yeah, to yeah. on that. Yeah. So an example, and we just put this up in trial site, is uh, this Dr. Wen. Remember, she was really uh, outspoken about yes. lockdowns and you know, yes, of course right. these people, and, and she was just, you know, way, way extreme, right? And then 
Now she's writing articles in the American Medical Association saying, you know, I think this vaccine is different than the other ones. I think we should back off on pushing this into the childhood immunization schedule. Mm -hmm. I think, and, and, you know, kudos to her. A lot of people don't want to um, work with anybody. They want to look at it as, no, she's an enemy. You, you have to extend your hand out and say, we have some common ground here. Let's talk. And mm -hmm. I think incrementally. Anyway, that's my two cents. <laughs> No, I have three more questions um, there, and they're all good. Uh, well, first of all, um, Janet wants to know, and we sort of missed these basics, in what court is the lawsuit being filed, and when will this actually go into the trial phase? Any well, guesses? it's filed in the Texas federal court. What What is what, uh, What's the circuit for that, guys? Is it the fifth? I think I think it's I, I I have to double check, but it's it's you're right. It's Texas federal federal court, and mm -hmm. I'm not ex exactly sure when it's going to go to trial. But we can get that information, and Betsy, you could update everybody. Sure, sure. Sure. You, they, they, you know, there's going to be a lot of motions filed. There'll be motion to dismiss and motion, of course, to yeah. and motion to extend the time, and you know, this is this is a fight. But I'm I'm so proud that you guys decided to do this. Well, uh, yes, and um, okay, we um, have a question from Rebecca. What would the perfect outcome of this lawsuit look like to you? And how would that outcome impact the free flow of information going forward? We'll start, anyone, we'll ask all of you that. Um, who wants to go first? I can't wait I'll to read the positions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Todd? From, from my perspective, obviously, we would like to get made whole monetarily, but to have a free and fair playing ground in the media space would be a really good outcome for us. Okay. Uh, Christine, do you want to elaborate on that? No, because the organ Todd, Todd takes the lead on that. I can just talk about the media, but I, I can't wait to read the depositions. And I just hope that the lawsuit uh, reveals the truth of what the collaboration and the collusion that happened through this entire epic and that it never happens again. And let me say one more thing. Yeah. You know, we talk about a lot about Pulitzer Prizes, et cetera. I think the Pulitzer Prize is waiting out there to be picked is to dive into this media collusion and find out who's paying them, where it's from. I think you'll find it's a foreign power. And, you know, so, but we'll see. But that, that's a huge story that's just sitting there for someone to take on. A foreign and power Christine's, other than Britain? I mean, we only know that the BBC sort of got the well, whole thing together. Did you well, just assign that to me again, Todd? <laughs> I think that uh, I think you'll see China's behind a lot of this, paying all these groups like Bloomberg and others. Mm. But we'll Dan? see. We'll see. You know, for me, you know, really, uh, the, the, you know, we put some figure up there for for monetary damages. You can find the 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 brief and read it. But for us, you know, I got us into this because uh, of the principle. And you know, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, I like technology. I I like good news. I like you know, knowledge. And for me, you know, there's an explosion happening. There's a, a revolution in media and, and uh, communications. And, you know, it's already happening despite all of this. It's, it's exploding. Imagine if this case goes the right way. My goodness. It's just, 
you know, it will really send us a signal to larger corporate structures and governments that they need to be very careful when they start, you know, uh, using their power, uh, you know, government authority indirectly to uh, stifle competition. We're a, we're a democracy. We're a free market-based uh, system, society. And for that to work, you know, you need free flow of information. You need competition. These are the things that made this country, you know, incredible in the first place. And people need to realize it's not just happening here in America. It's happening all over the place. And there are different types of instruments and elements that are that um, are being used. I know uh, my journal, our journalistic mates in Australia had to follow the government narrative. Uh, we know that from our camera crew that was with the Canadian convoy down to, before they got to Ottawa, that downtown taking pictures and talking to us every single night. We knew that that was peaceful. They were cleaning up the people who were cleaning up their trash. But if you, you know, all of a sudden it became violent and they were causing disruption. And that wasn't what we were seeing on the cameras. And that was because they had to change the narrative with the Canadian Broadcasting Company, which was wrong. That was a shock. And I guess the one telling thing that I, I've said from the very beginning, when Freeland and Trudeau froze the bank accounts in Canada, my head snapped. I've seen that in third world countries. I never thought that I'd ever see that in Canada against its own citizens. So there's a, there's a certain trajectory here where some of this nastiness goes on in foreign countries by superpowers. But when you start doing it in Western civilization, what did these people think people were going to do? Sit on the bench? They did initially, but now no one should be sitting on the bench. Christine, I want you to stay on because you're going to talk about some books. We have a slide of some books that Christine told us in the past that she was going to recommend, and then we didn't have the list. Well, we're going to we're going to do that, uh, and I want you to look at this as we. Uh, I, I just want to say a special thank you to Daniel O'Connor and to Todd Wood, and for all the work that you are doing, and for being our guest tonight. You've been terrific. Uh, we're we're grateful. We're we're reading. I've I've got my trial site news that I read every every morning, and we're staying in touch with Christine on everything. So you're uh, you're out there, and uh, we this is a story we're going to be following for sure, for sure, for sure. So uh, the doctors are particularly grateful. I mean, what could be more important than your doctor being able to be honest with you and right. tell you what the medicine is that he or she thinks is right for you and your particular situation, which might be totally different than what's right for me or you or you or you. I mean, let's let's face it. We are all quite different and we respond to different things and have different allergies. And so it is key to all of the doctors and nurses and people at the FLCCC Alliance that this can be one and that this this case is this case isn't just for the plaintiffs this no. case uh to me is a trajectory i think that uh it will snap people's heads out of cement it's going to make them think twice about this because if your doctors can't tell you the truth if yeah. news media can't publish the truth you your health and your family's existence is in danger. Yeah. So this this is a this is a lawsuit for everybody, for everybody. 
Well, we thank you. We thank you for doing that. Uh, you, good, good luck, guys, and uh, good luck to uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. for he certainly knows his stuff. And um, with any luck, well, we'll be hearing a lot more about this as with hopefully not too long and not too long. Anyway, Christine, I want to hear about these books because our viewers want to know what is your top 10 reading list? Tell us why you like all of these. What, why did you pick this group? Well, I read more than these, but but I think it's really important that people understand uh, history. That's one of the keys of what I, when I teach investigators how to do investigative journalism. Don't just take on where you start; figure out how they got how that situation got there. So, one of the, one of the things is is you have to have something that resonates with a lot of people. There's very few people that don't understand or haven't been affected directly, indirectly with oxycotton. Purdue, Sackler family in the United States. And Empire of Pain came out in 2021. And that gives you the historical context because a lot of people have heard about how medical journals are corrupt today. No, they were created after World War II. So this book gives you an idea of what the, the Sackler family did when they created their empire. And then, and they weren't the, they weren't only involved with the um, pandemic of the OxyContin, Betsy, but they also were involved with um, Valium back in the 1960s. So it gives you flavor of how that's done, and it gets in, it brings it up to the current time, and that that's important. The evidence of harm goes into the MMR, and that that is something people need to know about, and the. The evidence of harm also brings out the fact that the government agencies here in the United States withheld information from the public at the time. And it took years for that. And they, they, it was done in a meeting in Georgia and people knew about it and Kirby wrote about it. The pandemic 1918, people just need to read because they need to know what happened a hundred years ago. So that was a book that just that recently came out. The vaccine epidemic, uh, Mary Holland, it, it goes into the collusion of the government. So that's more of a historical side. The HPV, it's still on the market. And I remember in the last two years, I had I was on the phone I Sunday night, I had 60 minutes on, and I actually saw on CBS network uh, an advertisement for the HPV vaccine, which I think, I had never seen a vaccine ad on television ever in America. Okay. They're usually, I just wasn't paying attention maybe, but I was very surprised to see it. And you and I both know that we were the first country of the world that put pharmaceuticals on, uh, it was in the 1980s on um, television then New Zealand did, and and then I, I think New Zealand's taken them off or limited them or something. But 20 years ago, when the internet showed up, now you have drugs and pharmaceuticals advertised on the internet. So it's so you know when people think about the relationship between the social media and the internet, they really ought to understand that that was the new advertising playbook. All right. And the real Anthony Fauci, I've read it twice. That Bobby one we know about. Yes. <laughs> that one we know about. Yes. Right. Cause unknown. Ed Dowd looked at this very differently as a former manager of, of BlackRock. He looks at trends, which is what a lot of times journalists do. We look at trends around the corner. Where's the story going? Where did it come from? And he just did the numbers on, on the actualities. And, and it's a book. It's a book for somebody that's on the fence. He the was current, on here last week. 
So oh, we love Ed. We love Ed. He's <laughs> right. so smart. And then The Courage to Face COVID-19, well written by John Leake. He writes it like a true crime novelist that he is, a crime story an author as he is. And our friend, Dr. Peter McCullough. Right. Uh, the COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. Um, Peter Bregan and Ginger Breger wrote this. It's sort of like the 40,000 foot of what's happening globally and what's happening with Davos and why, so who are some of these players. It's very well written. And Chris People is a little bit out there. It's one of the scientific, it's, a, it's part of the Frank, what I call the Frankenstein books. But people need to know when they hear the word transhumanism, they kind of have to know where that may be started in a lab. Wow. Well, we thank you. We got a lot of reading to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we thank you again. We will be in touch. Uh, we want. And anybody can ask anytime. I'm back. You know, I want to find a book about oh. this. Let me know because I, I I've got the lists. You know, one I meant to ask one of our some of our people wanted to know how can they get in touch with you with our speakers. So you, of course, can help with with you and with Todd because you're both in the same company. And of course, Daniel uh, O'Connor is trial site news. Well, he's on online. Um, but if somebody has something really important to get to them, they might also write to FLCCC. And, and well, they can do that and you can forward it to me. I mean, they can go to our website, C- CD Media. Um, and so, you know, and, and they can they can just reach out there or they can send it to you guys and you can forward it to me. I did want to mention that we're doing a lot of uh, town halls. And we we've had some in Connecticut, we've had some in Maryland, we've had some you know other place, other places, but we're doing one in Miami on February sixteenth, and I think you guys have a slide or you can send it out to some of your people. But it is going to be we're going to have Dr. Paul Merrick, one of one. Um, of yes, guys. I was going to say I think one of our people is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and as as they have been in the past, right. uh, Brooke Jackson, who's the whistleblower for Pfizer, Kevin Jenkins, who's out there and he's he's cracking the whip. We're going to have Elaine Fishbane, who was uh, who's looking at the education. Uh, and no left turn. We're going to have a Catholic priest talking about what's going on, and then also Wayne Black, who does security. So it's it's going it, to we're going to and the conversation is really about the protection of children because if we don't protect the children right now with everything coming at them, and if we don't get the adults educated and get them organized on the local level, the next generation is going to have a really sad, sad experience. Christine, thank you so much. Betsy, thank you. Always good to be with you and everybody over there at FLCCC. We're delighted to delighted to have you with us. I need to uh, tell our viewers a few announcements, and then we will be back, of course, again next week. But some more some important things here for you, folks. Um, I want you to know that um, protocol updates are coming. As always, you know we're we're constantly updating and improving our protocols as we learn more, and we are always always learning more. At the moment, our doctors are reconsidering the use of fluvoxamine and fluvoxetine, both of which can be found on several of our protocols. Uh, providers, please stay tuned for updates that are coming soon. We will share them as soon as possible. Now then. 
printables, printables, stuff you can print. We love hearing from you folks, our wonderful audience, and uh, we're always listening. We have been getting a lot of requests from you folks for things that you can print and post somewhere and for important information that you can also easily download and share. We now have these available on our website under educational tools. You can also find all the infographics and other video tutorials there, flccc.net, educational tools is the heading. Now then, about sharing your story. You know, as many of you know, we have shared a series called My Story for quite some time now. These have been mostly uplifting stories of healing and empowerment and situations that turn out well. But sadly, there is another type of story and one that has, we've been hearing too many of them lately. And uh, these are the stories of suffering at the hospital, of neglect and deception and worse. And uh, for these we now have a new series called For the Record, because these stories deserve to be heard too, and they deserve to be on the record. So do you have a story or a record of your own that you would like to share? We would love to hear from you. You can send your story anytime to mystory@flccc.net. Now then, Let's spotlight the nurses who have been with us tonight. They've been answering all kinds of questions. And there they are, our gorgeous crew, wonderful, talented, bright. We've got our, our ringleader is our CRNA, Christina Morrow. She got the idea of organizing all of the nurses and bringing them together and doing stuff. And so she's here with RNs, Scott Rogers, Pamela Burnham, Samantha Hanks, and Stephanie Lansiki, and you're great. And how many have you been busy tonight? We had 100 questions and we answered them all. Woo, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So you're helping people feel better. And then the ones that dealt with all of the rest of the legal stuff you sent, you sent our way, I'm sure, right? Your way. And but you did have people. There are always. What did you say? I'm sorry. No, they're people who have medical questions and you folks have clinical expertise and you know what you're doing. So I hope that you've helped some people feel better and get better and get through the next week. And particularly with all this respiratory virus junk that's going around. So we direct them to our protocols. What's your favorite thing to direct them to? To the protocols to, we had some questions about the weekly updates, like past questions about shedding. So directed people to where they can find that information, where they can find our providers. So Good. just the, the kind of the information where people can kind of look around our website and, and find what they need. Sometimes waiting through it all is just difficult. You get, you get lost until you kind of learn their way through. So this is fantastic. Thank you so much. As always, have a great week. And we want to say thank you to all of you folks out there for your generosity. It is truly astonishing and it never ceases to amaze us. You know, what you give allows us to keep doing what we do. And uh, we so appreciate it. And every one of you for helping us however you can. Thank you so much. And everyone that we help, thanks you too, because you made that possible. Now, 
Finally, to finish off this evening, here are a few words coming from our own Dr. Bean in celebrating celebration of 40 episodes of his incredible series, Long Story Short, including his hopes for where we will be 40 episodes from now. It's important, folks. So congratulations, Dr. Bean, and onward and upward. And we'll see you all back here next week. So in the next 40 lectures, my hope is that Long Story Short becomes the definitive guide for vaccine injury or long COVID, its phenotypes, its pathophysiology, its incidence, its prevalence, and definitive guide for providers for how to manage their patients based on various phenotypes and various response types. And I think we are reaching there. With these 40 lectures, we are almost there. You can watch these 40 lectures and there is going to be something that would help your patient. And in another 40, I think there will be no other guide like this. And when you combine this with the FLCCC protocols, this is it. This will be the final destination. And I think this will be a great humanitarian service as well.